Dan, you hear that music. Dan, who is that Rus Russian physiologist, that guy with the dog? I think his name was Pavlov. And it's funny because Thursday mornings, man, I start to get all hyped up. And it's a Pavlovian response. Why? Because it's 1046 on the East Coast. I'm Guy Adami with my dear friend Dan Nathan from CNBC's Fast Money. Today's episode of 1046 is brought to you by our presenting sponsors, FactSet. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow and open exchange. Dan, you know this one. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Say what you got to say, Dan. Well, this meeting matters here, guy. We got 14 minutes here to get through some stuff. We got a lot of stuff here. We got a call that I think, you know, it seems to be a Wall Street consensus. And you've been calling, you've been actually pounding the table for lower rates since last summer here. And you got them, man. By the end of um, the year 2020, we saw the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield double from its August lows, go from 50 basis point to 1%. You thought we'd quickly be at one and a half. And then by some point in the summer, you think we'd be at 2%. Our really good friend, Carter Braxton Worth from Cornerstone yes. Macro yes. Research, he had a research note, a technical note out. That's what he does. He's a technician. He looks at charts. And I think we have it right here, man. He thinks that the 10-year treasury is going lower. Yeah, you know he how does. he likes to say, to the penny, to the penny. He says, not this time. He thinks it's going to break that uptrend channel. Yeah, he does. And listen, you know, Carter would be the first to tell you, he's not looking at this through an economic lens. He's looking at this strictly through a technical lens, and I have the utmost respect for Carter Braxtonworth. And listen, he might, might very well be right. I've said for a number of weeks now, for you playing at home, the TLT 133 is the level for the players of the home game. But I got to tell you something. With all the news we're hearing out of the administration, especially today, $6 trillion now budget, another $1.2 trillion on top. Uh, whether they you know, come to the Republicans off or not, I don't think it matters. I think rates are heading higher. I think one and a half is sort of the line in the sand on the downside. We've held that a number of times. I'm disappointed that we didn't get through that 175 level, but I think we're going to. And I think this was the catalyst today, some of the rhetoric we're hearing to take the next leg higher. Rates are a little higher today, Dan Nathan. I'm going to yeah. stick to my guns. But I know, listen, you've been coined. You are a genius. And I say that because you coined MEGA. Yeah. For the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, and the Amazon, about six to nine months prior to President Trump coming to the realization, and, oh, look at these stocks all magically with a trillion-dollar market cap. Well, you've coined something else, Dan Nathan. Why don't you share it with the 1046 audience right well, listen, now? Listen, I'm on the other side of you, guy. Here, I don't think rates are going anywhere. I'm I, know, more, I know. I, I agree with Carter's technical take here, but my fundamental view, and I am not an economist. I'm 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 an okay strategist. Let's say I think we're going through a transitory tantrum. I mean, the Fed is basically saying all of these inflation pressures are transitory, but all the geniuses, the pundits, and and all the bank CEOs, and they're saying nope, inflation is here to stay. I suspect on the other side of this little tantrum that we're having right here that's playing out, I think, in boardrooms and on financial TV and, and obviously in the, on, on, on uh, 1046 here, I just think we're going to be right back to that long-term GDP growth, a little above 2%, rates around 2%, um, inflation around 2%. I mean, these are all levels that we've gotten really used to since the financial crisis. And I think that all these fears about these input costs and wage inflation, all this stuff, that they're going to be structural. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think 
we're going to go back to where we were. And I really don't see the Fed having the need to aggressively raise rates. They may taper and they should taper. And I know you have a lot of views on that. They should stop buying the bonds that they're buying um, at the levels in which they're buying them. But I just don't think, think about the financial crisis or the post-financial crisis. It took them years to get off the zero, the zero interest yeah. rate policy. No, listen, you might, you very well might be right. I mean, I, you know my view. I'm, I'm wondering why, if things are so great in the housing market, everything yeah. seems to be so bubbly, why they need to be purchasing $120 billion, with a B, dollars of assets every month. But hey, you know, good for them. By the way, uh, yeah. James Gorman made some comments about that earlier this week that I think are really interesting. Obviously, the CEO, Morgan Stanley, he thinks the taper happens sometimes this year, and he thinks there's a rate hike early next year. It's interesting to see. We will see. I know David Rosenberg, Rosie, as we call him, also agrees with you, Dan Nathan, that you're going to see rates moving lower. Yeah, I mean, I think he thinks that this is, uh, like I've been saying, too, that these are like near-term shocks. We just had the worst health crisis in 100 years. We had massive disconnect with a very globally tied right supply chain. So the supply-demand dynamics are just out of whack. And then when you think of some of the pressures as it relates to wage inflation, well, those were coming anyway, right? And so, Guy, you've been mentioning this a lot. So corporates got in front of this. All right, well, here's a scenario. If you were right on the direction of rates, you've also mm-hmm. been right on the direction of the dollar. And you've been uh-huh. saying the U.S. dollar is going lower. We have a chart going back to the financial crisis here. There's two things I want to say before you get your mug in here on this, okay? Look at the volatility in the dollar index that we saw post-financial crisis here. And then you're going to look at 2014. The Dixie goes from like 80 to like 100 in a straight line. You know what happened there? They started tapering and they did zerp. So if they do or they got off of ZERP, okay? They started normalizing interest rates. Well, the dollar ripped in that scenario here. So you have a really interesting chart. I drew that yellow line here. What is the Dixie doing for you? And what sort of brew could it potentially make with higher rates and lower dollar? Listen, I mean, I think that is the witch's brew. Thanks for that oh, setup, Dan, yeah. by the way. And, you know, you mentioned that move <laughs> in the dollar. That was a, it's what we call in the business, a flight to quality, but it was a misguided flight to quality. I think the market has learned its lesson. So, what you're going to say to me is if they start to normalize rates and take their foot off the gas, you know, your market might sell off. But you're also going to see a similar flight to quality in the U.S. dollar. This is where we sort of go our separate ways. Probably a good title for a song. I think actually the dollar is going to continue to fall. I think that genie's out of the bottle. The line in the sand is the horizontal line that you drew so well. By the way, these fact set charts are fantastic. 88 is the level. And if it breaks 88, I don't, again, I mention this all the time. I'm not sure who Katie is, but she better <laughs> bar the door because that sucker is going significantly lower. That will lead to further gains in these resource stocks that we've talked about, ad infinitum, ad nauseum, as they say. And I think that's going to be really detrimental to the stock market. Look, the stock market likes the U.S. lower dollar until it doesn't. And I think we're at that line of demarcation coming in the form of the yellow one that you just drew, Dan, Nathan. All right, let's go to a single stock story please, here. This please. Is, this, is, this is the single stock story of, of, the, of the markets here. And it was Coinbase. It went public through a direct listing in mid-April. This reference price on that was $250. It traded as high as 420 Here we are below that reference price or on either side of it over the last week. You have all these um, uh, brokerage houses coming out initiating coverage. Here's two big ones. We know Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, both initiated with buys. Listen, you can go over to the street accounts. You can do that filter for the upgrade downgrade here. You can see the reasons for it. 
Here's the thing, man. No one's going to get like if you slap the sell on this stock, right? Like when you think about what's going on in crypto and where we are in the infancy of this market and adoption of these products. And this is a company that literally was founded like a couple years after the, the Bitcoin white paper was written. These guys have kept their heads down. They've been through bull and bear markets. They keep, continue to build products that are going to service institutions and, and kind of help institutions get on, on board on this asset class. So to me, um, I, you know, it's, it, it is interesting, Guy, when you look at the differential in price targets, and I'm sure there's different ways that they get to them. Goldman's got a 306 price target. JP Morgan's got a 371 price target. Yeah, and you know, according to facts that the average price target is $400 on the screws, as they say. And the yeah. range is somewhere between 250 and 650. And oh, by the way, Wedbush initiated last week with a $275 price target. And you've made a number of comments about this. First, I want to ask you a couple of questions, Dan Nathan, not to tee you up, yeah. but co-founder yeah. and CEO Brian Armstrong now owns 52, little north of 52% of the outstanding stock. Good thing or a bad thing? I would submit for the shareholders, probably a good thing, Dan Nathan. Yeah, I mean, he's not selling. He's got what they call, what do they call them, diamond hands, guys? I don't, is, is that a, a, please, don't, please, yeah, no, please. I don't know no, what yeah. their his well, hands are, but I'm sure they're strong. Here's the irony of Coinbase, okay? This is the on-ramp to this decentralized financial utopia that the, like, this is what the crypto thing is, but it's a very centralized organization and the stock is held in a very centralized manner, you know? So that, that's the irony of these setup here. Um, but listen, I think Armstrong's in it for the long haul. You've heard me say it before. Um, I think that this is probably like buying Schwab in the 90s here. You know, this is a company that's going to be around for a very long time. Wait until you see all the the things that are tokenized. We're already seeing, you know, art being tokenized and NFTs, you know what they call the non-fungible tokens. Yeah, Remember I Mr. do. Beeple I'm that familiar. You're a fan yes. of? I love yeah, the Beeple. I just think there's a, you, don't, you love the Beeple. Let's go to the Bitcoin no, chart. Hold on, but yeah, but, and, is, and listen, but I, I want to yeah. look at that Bitcoin chart. Leave it up. I want to ask one more question about Coinbase. You know, yeah. they did yeah. that offering, as you said, they came out. Then two weeks later, they did a convert. And I'm saying to myself, What's up with that? That's not cool. And you have a different view on that, Dan Nathan. Well, of, of course. I mean, listen, on a traditional IPO, the company is selling stock. They're selling stock to um, the public and they're putting that cash on their balance sheet. That's the point, initial public offering. And you take the cash and you put it on your balance sheet and you're doing that so you can start you know, investing more in, in R&D and M&A and all those sorts but of things. Don't get so, mad at me. I'm just asking a well, question. My God, you're so indignant. You know, it's just crazy. Well, all right, let's I, talk, I just, talk about I, this Bitcoin. No, no, no. Well, no, but, no, no, but hold on. I got to finish the point. So a few weeks after their um, direct listing, they do a convert. Okay. It's zero coupon. It converts up 55%. It's not dilutive. Okay. So it was kind of, that's the playbook for direct listings. Okay. So smart move. The only thing I will tell you, the bear case is, and there was an article in the Wall Street Journal of decentralized exchange. So last month, uh, in April, Coinbase did $110 billion in volume, and the journal article referenced a company called Uniswap, okay, mm. that did $37 billion in volume. So there is lots of competition here. These guys need to stay ahead of on the innovation, and I think they're doing that. Well, here's your chart, and listen, another great chart by Faxet, but you obviously have this pretty steep downtrend in Bitcoin. We talk about it all the time. Folks know the levels, yeah. but you know, I think what you're saying is, Dan, we're in that range. You know, We traded to the lower end of the range, held bouncing up to the upper end of that range, those two horizontal lines. And my sense is you think we sort of meander in between here for a while, which probably is pretty uh, on the margins, I would imagine, positive for Coinbase. I would think it obviously be significantly more positive if we get through that upper end of the range. Yeah, I mean, I, I think another pillar of the bear case is, is that if you were going to have a bear market, again, as there have been many in Bitcoin, 
Bitcoin, which is obviously the largest crypto asset, um, you see volumes go down and that would be bad for them. So, you know, to me, you have this range now. It's 42.5 on the upside. That was the breakout level from February. It held that kind of January, February low at 30 in that panic over the weekend. So let's see if it can get above 42.5 and, and make um, a new support range above there and make a shot towards those highs. All right, guy, we got to go. Slide uh, it, Earl. Slide it, Earl. This was Quickly. good here. You speak of this one here because uh, you've been all over this story. You love this story. Um, and it's been a great stock for years and years. And it's basically gobbled up so much market share on multiple different areas that have been huge focuses uh, among chip makers. It's interesting. So NVIDIA obviously reported yesterday. I mean, the thing that I took away with it, Dan always makes fun of me, but gross margins came in at a robust 66.2%. Again, according to facts that the range for analysts in the stock is somewhere between 440 and 801. Average price target 695. We just saw the price target raised at Craig Hallam Capital to 750 from 550. Um, assumed overweight at KeyBank, by the way, with a $700 price target. A lot of analysts like this. By the way, the upper end of that range, just so you folks know, initiated at Baird on May 4th with an $800 price target. Now, Dan will correctly say that on a price to sales, you know, on any metric that you look at, this is an expensive stock, and I agree. But the one thing they have that the rest of these, well, not the rest of them, but names like Intel, and we're going to talk about that in a second, don't have is growth. So what are your senses here, Dan? I think NVIDIA, looks and it hasn't traded all that well post-earnings over the last you know, 12 hours or so. But I like yeah. this stock a lot, and I like this price target of 750 all right, I'll just give you my quick one, two here. This is please, basically a $400, $400 billion market cap trade, 17 and a half times sales. If you look at some of the growth in data center, you just kind of referenced um, data center, gaming, crypto mining. I mean, these things are up 60, 70, 80% year over year and actually up significantly quarter over quarter. I guess the point is the stock ran into this print. It ran about 15, 16%. It's up 20% on the year. And at those valuation levels, you say, so was that enough to get this thing to materially break out? Out. Look at this one-year chart here. We know that that kind of breakout level from just a couple of weeks ago is going to be support. It's the intersection of that uptrend from the 2021 lows here. It looks pretty interesting, but that's a good, I don't know, 10% lower or something. And just to put this little consolidation over the last Hold on, nine before, months. Before you ramble yeah. on like Led Zeppelin, I just got to say, yeah. you know, we're going OT here. I'm just telling you folks now, we're going through 11. We're just going through 11 a.m. So be prepared on the other side. Dan, please continue. All right, let me continue to ramble here, guy. Look at that consolidation on a five-year chart. That looks like one heck of a flag there. What does that say to you? Well, I don't know if that's a hungry alligator or a or sick giraffe <laughs> or whatever you guys and gals call that stuff. I have no idea. But you know what it says to me? We're in this steep uptrend, and I do think we break out to the upside. But the good news is if you're wrong, I think you know what your risk-reward is. But if I look at this, we've seen this type of pattern a number of times over the year. I think the next leg is higher, and I love the $750 price target. I think, by the way, we also have a look at Intel here just to take a look at, you know, a side-by-side -side comparison, as they say. What is, look at, I mean, just look at that. That's called meandering. I don't know what the, the animal is, but that's a meandering aardvark or something because it's gone nowhere, basically, over the last couple of years. I know there's been a change at the top. They're very excited about what the future of Intel holds. Um, I'm not as excited. You know, I do think there's some ramp for them, but it's going to take a long time to get there. And names like AMD, NVIDIA have such a head start. Even a Qualcomm, by the way, have such a head start over Intel. I'm not really sure where this can go. Uh, I'm sure they're analysts with price targets anywhere from 55 to 70. And I think that's your range for the foreseeable future, Dan Nathan. 
Yeah, you know, this is a three-year chart. You just see the volatility in that range. And then there's been activist investors. There's been management chains. There's been tons of M&A over the last five years, Altera and Mobileye, mm-hmm. and paying some big prices. And, and to date right now, none of those deals have really, um, you know, really materialized as huge drivers here. They've lost share. They've had some um, production um, mishaps here. They've lost share to AMD and NVIDIA. So, um, yeah, this is a cheap stock. I think you, you see the ranges there. I mean, when you get down in the mid to the high 40s, the stock is a buy. It's a cheap stock, good balance sheet, new management, and they're likely to kind of catch up again, but it may take a little while here. Um, so, you know, on a valuation basis, though, I mean, when you see this thing with a four handle, I think you buy it, guy. And yeah, that's I agree. the difference. You know, you want to buy Nvidia trading 17 sides, 17 times sales for a breakout. All things are firing on all cylinders. And I get that, you know, buy high, sell higher, my main man. That's what makes, as they say, Dan. That's what makes markets. And, you know, I like the last thing. What, what we call this is the one one more for the road, right? It's like a Leonard Skinner album. Can we sort of go there, please? Because it's going to talk about my favorite well, favorite stock, but something we for a while, we sort of educate our audience because it comes in the form of letter F. And that would be for Dan Nathan. Yeah, so they held their Capital Markets Day. They really laid out their vision for electric vehicles. You know that I have one of those brand new electric the Mustang. vehicles. The Mustang. The Mustang Mach-E is hot. Um, you know, listen, this stock is up 30%, guy, from its May lows alone. I mean, investors really did not, I guess, have high expectations about what was going to happen at this meeting, but laying out that roadmap for their push to just kind of dominate EVs. And it's not just on the low end. I mean, they're taking the best-selling truck in America, the Ford, Ford F-150, F-150, sure, and they're electrifying that thing. So um, I think it's a really interesting story. I know on a valuation basis, it looks uh, very reasonable. It's got a like i don't know a 55 billion dollar enterprise value that's like 10 percent of teslas you put a little of the tesla pixie dust on their their, their ev business right. and the growth they're going to have and you probably have a much higher stock yeah the stock here's the five-year chart breaking out above those levels here what's your take where can it go and what should the valuation so dan i know of? i know you appeared almost nightly on cnbc's fast money as have i for the last 14 and a half years and it's interesting because my sense is the guys and gals at rbc capital watch because one of the things I said is, hey, guess what, folks? Ford's going to earn a dollar seventy. You put a ten multiple on that dollar seventy, and you can do that math, Dan. Dollar seventy times ten. What do you get? What number does that come out to? Seventeen bucks. Seventeen. And guess what <laughs> price target they just slapped on at seventeen dollars. My sense is they've been watching the show as they should. They should also watch at ten forty six because maybe they'll learn something and maybe they'll get into these fact set charts and all the cool things they have going on. Throw the summary page up because I want to sort of get get down to the nuts and bolts of what we've just done over the last 17 minutes, Dan, please. Yeah, just real quickly here. I, I think the rate debate is a good one. It's important to have. There's a lots of things going on there. It's about Fed policy. It's about fiscal policy. It's about deficit spending. It's about a whole host of things that really need to get normalized. And, and for some reason in our country, we just can't seem to kind of get back to like, like the, the normal capitalism that we all expect, right? We keep getting bailouts and then we keep kind of overstaying our welcome and, and, and it creates tremendous debate. But I think you would say it cre- uh, creates tremendous um, inequality is really what it's doing every step of the way here. So um, the way I think about it here is there will be some normalization. It probably comes later than people think. Um, the Coinbase call, I, I think, is a really 
you know, kind of interesting one here. None of these banks took that company public. Usually you get pretty good support from your, um, you know, you, you, you know, your, your syndicate of banks mm-hmm. taking public direct listing here. Um, you know, I, I think that this is a, this is one that unless there's some major execution mishaps or regulatory action, I think wall street's going to stay on the right side of this one. Well, I'm just going to say, by the way, I love where you are, Dan. It looks like you have a nice little backdrop there. I just want to say, I want to, again, get to our sponsors, because that's what matters here. So if you slide it for me, Earl, once again, I want to thank our presenting sponsors, Factset. We're thrilled to have them on board, Dan Nathan, and obviously Open Exchange, because if there's a financial meeting that matters, guess who it's being powered by? Open Exchange. And what I love about it, we got that OETV here. All of this content lives on that, right? So if you're a little bored guy, your Rangers not in the playoffs anymore, maybe your Yankees are going to drop a couple in a row, go over to OETV, get some old episodes of At 1046. And check out all the cool things going on. Effects at their charts rock, Dan. Thank you. Thanks to the folks watching. We'll catch you next week. What time? At 1046. Damn straight. See you later. <laughs>